Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle. I'm Dr. Ewan Lawson and the show notes for today's episode can be found as ever at blokeology.io forward slash 033 today. So today I've got an interview with Dr. Simon Tobin who's the Parkrun Ambassador for Health and Wellbeing. And so it's a chance for us to have a really good conversation about Parkrun and about movement in, generally, uh, movement in general and how we get people more active uh, and how we go about doing that. Uh, Simon is a GP uh, based in the northwest of England, much like myself, though uh, I'm involved in other work such as at the medical school and he spends a lot more time at the clinical uh, front line. Uh, and But we've got very similar ideas about how we can't just impose exercise on people, physical activity, and it's something that Park Run is doing incredibly well, growing a grassroots organization and just getting community involved. And that's one of the most important things that we cover, that really Park Run's about so much more than just being physically active. It's about community and it can help address social isolation and loneliness. So Simon's got lots of really good stories talking about that and thinking about uh, the effect and the impact and the transformative power of Parkrun. Um, if you do want to get more involved with the podcast, please think about subscribing to the newsletter I send out every fortnight, which has just got some evidence-based health, fitness, uh, uh, health and fitness tips and um, some thoughts on the evidence around well-being as well. Um, so that comes out every other Tuesday. And I think by the time this comes out, it will just be a couple of days before the next one appears. Okay, so let's get on with the interview. So the first thing I asked Simon was just to tell me a little bit, a bit more about himself and particularly how he got into running. I've always been into exercise. I've always done something all my life. Um, bizarrely, it was when my wife entered the London Marathon about 12 years ago. She um, she wanted she, she was a bit bored career-wise. She's a doctor um, and wanted a challenge. So she entered the London Marathon, got a place for a local hospice where she was working. And we went down for the Marathon Expo the you know two days before the event. And while she was busy registering, I just was just looking around the, the stands. It was a stand by ASICs flogging their new trainers and had this amazing thing that I'd never come across before called gait analysis. Um, it's coming a lot more since then. And I was just saying, oh, what's this? That's, that looks interesting. And they said, well, you some put on a pair of trainers um, and get on the treadmill and let's have a look at your gait. And so they looked at my gait and I thought it was all fascinating and turned out I overpronated. And um, cut a long story short, about 10 minutes later, I bought a pair of trainers costing 120 quid, having never run. <laughs> um, you know any distance in my life because they, they just beautifully corrected the overpronation um and I, it looked like magic so I, I said you know thanks very much having spent an absolute fortune on running shoes you then committed to at least giving it a go for a few weeks so like most people i just started plodding um up and down the road horribly slowly um but gradually building up and, and i think for me I mean, I got up to running about three times a week, but it was actually joining a local running club in Southport made a huge difference in terms of bringing me on, mixing with other runners, making friends, training together. It became a big part of my life, my social life, my weekends. Um, and the more people you mix with, the more you get introduced to, to new things. So from that came competitive cross countries, road racing, and then you know more recently fell running. 
which is my absolute love and joy. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that one. We should we should have a quick blether about fell running because um, I'm lucky enough to live on the side of the hills. I, I'm not sure where in the countryside you're based, Simon. Have you got the fells handy for you? Uh, no, well, I'm in Southport, so yeah. I'm about an hour and a half from the lakes, um, and uh, you know, about an hour from the sort of Lancashire fells, um, Trofford, Bowden, places like that. But oh, yeah. it's lakes I've done most of my most of my fell running, um, and it's just an absolute joy to be out there running across the fells uh, yeah i mean I, i'm a big advocate for it and i kind of the, the trough of boland actually i'm at lancaster university just now so the trough of boland is just out the back as where i am currently um it um it there's something about it that just is magical i, I mean i like running and actually i went running today just along the canal at lunchtime and that in itself was wonderful and lovely but it's never quite a patch on being out in the hills no no and it's, i used to look at fell runners before i started running and think they were nutters and just think, what? And you see a little sort of wiggle of people climbing up a hill and thinking, that must just destroy your knees and, and, and kill your back. And, and, and it's only when you, you start doing it and you realise, well, you know, if you can't run it, you just walk it. And so, so a lot of my fell running is spent, you know, was spent walking slowly up a hill with, with your nose up somebody's backside, sort of saying, why are we doing this on a Saturday morning? Yeah. Um, but it, it led to some, some really fantastic times and some, some really happy memories. Yeah, well, I do, I think I, there's a certain amount of um, mythos around um, and that, uh, around um, uh, fell running, and uh, to some of it, it's a bit of smoke and mirrors, I think. And I've always said that the fact is, you, any runner could do it because you you are just you just walk up the hills, yeah. And it always looks good because you go past walkers who are dressed in big boots and rucksacks and multiple layers of waterproof. So of course they go at half the speed you do, but if they just strip down to a pair of shorts and a vest and put their trainers on they'd be going just as fast as you would so there's a slight kind of there's a slight um that's the smoke and mirrors bit of it i think yeah okay you, you, you jog on the flat and you if you can take the brakes off and run downhill well you're great you're, you're sorted that's your fell runner yeah I, I think that's that's the joy is the hurtling downhill it takes you back to when you're like five or six years old running it running down the grassy slope out of control uh, and with fell, fell running, having worked down hard to get to the top of the hill, just careering down a, a slope, just outside your comfort zone, thinking if I take a tumble, I'm I'm absolutely stuffed here, is is just so exhilarating. Yeah, it's a very. I think you're right. I, that might be exactly why it's just such. I mean, there's the, the being the landscape and the kind of being outdoors, and I, I think there's some evidence around that kind of trail running aspect, isn't there? That really. It's Absolutely. beneficial for you, but I do think that's right. And I think that's kind of one of the joys is it takes it rather than it being a grind and always looking at your watch to see how fast you're going. You just, it's just a complete freedom, isn't it? It's a, it's a, a proper um, mindful, it's a kind of a mindless, mindful kind of experience where you just, it's all about the movement. It is interesting. I, I, I did, I went on a mindfulness course a while ago and I was, uh, they were talking very much about it being a relaxing thing and very much in the moment. And I was wondering whether fell running and more recently open water swimming, which is my latest thing, is actually mindful. Because when I'm doing either, I'm knackered, I'm gasping, I'm panting. It's not always a comfortable place to, to be. Um, but it does just keep me in the here and now, just focusing on, on what I'm doing at the time. So, so I agree. I think it probably is a mindful thing, although it might not be what people regard as there's mindfulness yeah certainly it's a bit far from that meditation but in terms of just living in the now yeah i've always thought it was a mindful thing because you, you can't do anything else other than just think about the next footstep so yes. it, it brings you completely into the present moment absolutely yeah um 
Great. So, um, Koshi, well, you've come to did you did you run at school? You seem to have come to it relatively late in life, no, which I is I've been running as I said since that that London marathon. My yeah. life. Um, and and I'm, I'm please don't think I'm any good. Um, at my the height of my career, I, I, I wasn't quite good enough to be called mediocre. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I loved it. I enjoyed it. The, the meeting up with people, connecting with people, was was partly why I did it. It's made maybe loads of friends from from all walks of life, um, uh, and so it's been really quite a significant thing for me over the last twelve years or so. Um, but no, I haven't been a runner. I'm not. I used to worry me. You hear a lot about people being gifted runners, and oh, I just love running. And I sometimes I run, and I could just run for 10, 12, 15 miles. And, <laughs> you know, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm no. struggling. I'm looking at my Garmin. I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm going to give up. Um, so it's a different experience for me, but it's been good, and I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, it sounds like um, your running might be very similar level to mine, and I, I think a lot of folk out there are. I'm, I'm, I'm in that category where I'm never ever going to win anything, and even yeah. if I outlive everyone else and get to my sixties and seventies, and I'm still running, I don't think I'll be at the top of an age class. Then I'm just, as I say, I've barely scraped into mediocre. But the only thing I think I have to be a bit careful about with that is that I, there, there are still a few people I finish ahead of. And um, I wouldn't. I would never be rude about their running in terms of saying they were mediocre or again of not very good. Because and it's about recognizing that. Um, I guess we're doing a lot. Ever all of us that are out there are doing a lot more than those that aren't doing anything. Absolutely, and, and there is this kind of elitist thing that's attached, particularly to sort of club running mm. uh, and things. And that's probably what put me off club running and, and made me move towards park run a bit more. Was that the club stuff seemed a bit exclusive, a bit elitist. Um, and it was not that anybody said anything sort of bad to me or, or discouraged me, but it just seemed to be that everybody was a sort of lean racing snake. I, and I began to get a bit more interested in, in getting people moving who, who either weren't moving at all or were moving very little. Yeah. Well, I think that, and that's really what I, we want to have a chat about, isn't it, about in the park run side of things today. The club running thing, interestingly, I've never been involved in club running, but I have heard nothing. We've we had, I had a lot, of early, a lot of the early podcasts of Blokeology were about running, and a lot of people have come on and talked about, even though they weren't elite racing snakes, I've had an incredibly positive experience at running clubs. And um, I think there is always that slight competitive edge. You, you'll at least see it in the kind of one, you know, the, there'll be one faster group or what have you, won't there? There's always going to be that element. But they, they do seem to be credit. I've only heard good things about them being welcoming places to go and get involved. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, for, for anybody who's, who's running regularly, think about, you know, think about giving it a go. They're, they're welcoming, they're encouraging. And, and it's just, somebody told me a while ago, try stuff outside your comfort zone a couple of times a year. Um, and for me, it was one of the best things I, I did. It just got me doing stuff I wouldn't have believed I was doing, you know, just amazing experience, two-day mountain marathons, mm. doing the three peaks a number of times. That's just fantastic stuff that wouldn't have occurred yeah. if I had tried something a bit different. Great. So um, you mentioned that you're, you're a little bit more getting, I mean, I'm sure this is a side because obviously you're a GP as well. Yeah. Um, and um, as well as myself, I should say, um, I, I kind of, and you're a bit more interested in getting people exercising who haven't been exercising before. Um, and I know that you've had, a, I think you've had a special interest in diabetes. Is that right? On that side of things. Did, yeah, was, so did, that, did part of you, and you've got involved with park runs. So tell us a little bit more about how you got involved or was it a natural progression from your work with people who have diabetes, for example? 
Um, it kind of came the other way around. I, I obviously heard that Southport was setting up a park run. This was about two and a half years ago. And I got involved fairly early on just going down to some of the early park runs. And I knew immediately that that was my thing. It, it was welcoming. It was energetic. It was fun. There was a real buzz. And the inclusivity of it really, really, you know, startled me and amazed me. And as, as soon as I'd been, I, I thought this, this is absolutely tremendous. And the potential for park runs to actually help people who aren't exercising very much just do a bit more is huge. Yeah. Immediately my mind started worrying with, you know, how can, how can I take this back and make a difference at work? My park run sits right in the middle of my practice area, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, when we when Southport Park Run started two and a half years ago, we had twenty four people to the very first very first park run. We now get on average about four hundred people every single Saturday week in week out. We've had over five hundred um, in the past, and some of those would have been going out for a run on Saturday, but I suspect three quarters, eighty percent wouldn't have been, and they're just coming to the park getting together, having a natter, chatting, catching up with people, running for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, walking, volunteering. And then, you know, people are home by 10, um, exercise done for the weekend and feeling good about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I think Park Run is, it, I'm, it's impossible to say I'm struggling. To, <laughs> I'm always a bit of a contrarian. And I've got my what's one of my worst faults in life is always finding something horrible to say about everything that's positive. But I, I'm not sure I can say anything about Park Run that is uh, in to dampen the, uh, people's enthusiasm for it. It's just a remarkable success story over the past. Just I think it's about is it 12 years since they first kicked off? Uh, 14. So, so the, it started off in 2004 in Bushy Park in London. The founder of Park Run, a guy called Paul Sinton Hewitt, was an injured runner. And a lot of his social life was based around running. So as, as you possibly know, being an injured runner is a really miserable place to be. So really to combat his loneliness, he actually started what was the Bushy Park time trial. Um, and so once a week, they'd meet down at Bushy Park. There was 13 for the very first one in 2004. And have, they'd have a 5K time trial. After a while, numbers grew. That became Park Run. Another Park Run started, I think, in Leeds. And then, you know, it's grown from just 13 people running that very first time to, in the UK, probably 150,000 people every single weekend um, are involved in a park run. Just astonishing numbers. And when you think that the London Marathon is, is tens of thousands, with 35,000, well, every single Saturday, park runs in the UK are getting 150,000 people out and, and exercising. It is an astonishing astonishing thing yeah and and i think there's a there's a there's a certainly a section on the website the park run website which has got numbers and statistics at the bottom i suspect they're a tiny bit out of date actually because but then um looking at the average runtime which i'll come back to in a mo but the numbers they they boggle the brain it's just it it is just incredible and one of the but i guess one of the most important things is about that average runtime thing which is the clearest marker that they're getting people who wouldn't otherwise have got involved um, out and active. And that's, and I think the average runtime is, I think it's now 29 minutes or something, isn't it? And it says, it says 28, 28 on the bottom of the website. But I have a feeling it's crept up even further than that. It, it has. And that's something that's really, really pleased me. 
you, you think initially you'd, you'd want part from, you know, part from average finish times to be really, really quick. Um, but what I began to realize as I introduced more of my patients into Southport and I saw our average um, time begin to drop, average finish time, that that was a marker of success, that we were getting the people there that really, really interested me. As I said, the people who weren't, weren't moving at all or weren't moving much. Um, so I love that park runs are getting slower. The slower the better. Yeah, I think it's definitely it's an entirely a positive thing, isn't it? And what, I mean, one of the things I was going to ask you about is if you, you know, I know you have some stories about people that have been inactive and then have managed to have found parkrun and gone from a state of, of inactivity and sedentary behaviours and have become more active. Yeah, so I mean, I'll share with you the story of um, Gary, who's, who's given me consent to, to, to share his story. So uh, Gary's a guy I know in his mid-50s. And about five years ago, he was in a really bad place. He's just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. He was overweight. He's a heavy smoker. His diet was appalling. His diabetes was badly controlled and his cholesterol was up. And it was really, he had a young son. Oh, has a young son. And it was really the love that he had for his young son that made him think, actually, I need to, to turn this around. I want to see my son grow up. I'd like to be there to see him get married. And if I carry on as I am, I'm not going to do it, you know, be there. So initially, Gary started off by, you know, stopping the fags, which was fantastic. And buoyed up by that, he began to think about his, his diet a bit more. And he looked around at different options. And certainly one of the, the, the current um, favoured sort of things in, in diabetes is looking at reducing your carb intake. So Gary actually did brilliantly on a low-carb diet. He cut out the carbs. As a consequence, his weight came down, his diabetes was fantastically controlled, and as his weight improved, he began to move a bit more. And then he got to the point where his brother said, well, listen, why don't you come down to Southport Park Run? I, I go um, from time to time. Why don't you give it a go? And, and Gary said, well, I, I'm not really a runner. And he said, well, you don't have to be a runner because every week loads of people walk at a park run. Um, and they're just as welcome as the, the runners. So Gary came down and he, and he gave it a go. And like many people, like me and the others, you come down, you plod around for your first time and you finish and you think, well, I could do that a bit quicker. And the fantastic thing with park runs is we keep a record of your time. Um, you can look at your statistics whenever you want to. And just uh, it's a wonderful motivator for coming back week after week and just trying to, to improve because it's completely free and every park run is over five five K. Um uh, once you start, once it becomes a habit, um, you just take off and fly. And, and Gary now has gone on to greater things. He's run 10Ks. He's run half marathons. I know recently when he went to see his diabetic nurse, he walked in and she just clapped him. She gave him a big round of applause and said, your, 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 your results are amazing. Your diabetes is astonishingly controlled. Your cholesterol is great. Uh, your blood pressure is perfect. You're not needing any tablets for that. And that all came about through, you know, through starting a, a park run and wanting to to take control of his life, yeah, um, I, it, there's I, it's a, the potential for transformation is remarkable, isn't it? With something like you know regular exercise, regular physical activity. Um, actually, I should kind of that there's that whole. It doesn't have to necessarily be running or and just being more physically active is as important as necessarily having some kind of exercise like running. And I, I guess that's my only thing about park run is that makes me anxious is that actually people i know that park run is not about just running it's about just moving and, and getting people walking everything there's a slight danger that people don't realize that so it's about trying to get the message out that it's for everybody as well yeah i think in terms of 
branding, if I'd have been there in 2004, which of course I wasn't, um, I, I think that the run bit of park run is, you know, is probably not helpful. Um, having said that, most people do do run, um, uh, but maybe it would have been better to just park move or move more or, or, or something or get moving or keep moving. Um, just really to make it clear that the non-runners are welcome. I mean, my 82-year-old dad has been down to Park Run. He, he, he occasionally gets lost. He comes down in his smart church shoes and his, you know, his brogues um, and walks around the course chatting as he goes. Um, and it takes him an hour. And that's fantastic, 82, just, you know, just to encourage him to get out and do some exercise. Yeah, I think one of the um, one of the other things I wanted to say about park run is, of course, and older people in particular, and it may not be something that your father has had a problem with, is potentially social isolation. That yes. is, um, you know, and loneliness, and the evidence is that you know, the sitting's not the new smoking. Loneliness is the new smoking, and in fact, it's incredibly damaging to your health and well being. Um, but actually, getting people out and getting active, and also engaging them socially, and that's the other thing that park run does really well is engage people socially. Absolutely. It's really interesting. I read well, about a year ago, there was a paper out that said that if you're lonely, your risk of dying early prematurely is increased 50%. Mm. That's a shocking, that's a shocking statistic. And we get really excited as, as doctors talking about statins and cholesterol and blood pressure. Treating that doesn't reduce your risk by 50%, maybe 30% at its, at, you know, if you're lucky. And we do nothing about loneliness and, and social isolation. So I think the more we can do to just get people involved in their communities, uh, you know, it, we can make a huge difference. Yeah. It's an interesting story. Uh, one of the, um, the park runs, this was Bushy Park down in London, a little old lady uh, called Elizabeth in her 80s who was in a nursing home opposite Bushy Park. And her daughter, Lucy, was a very keen park runner at, at Bushy Park and was worried, as you say, about social isolation. Her mother wasn't getting much stimulation in the in the rest home so on a saturday morning she used to pick up her mother take her out in a wheelchair and park her beside the course wrapped up warmly and she used to wave at the runners and clap them on as they they, they ran by her and so impressed with the, the team at, at bushy park that they bought her her own special high-vis vest they made her an marshal and then sort of week in week out elizabeth came down brought, brought by her daughter lucy parked outside the course you know, she was high-fiving the kids and, and, and clapping and cheering. And it became really, really important to her to get out and to help as part of the team at, at Park Run. And, and it made me think that we, we really undervalue the, the, uh, the importance and, as you say, the transformative power of getting involved in the community. And volunteering is, is every bit as important as the actual physical activity. I mean, something like it's about 15,000 people every single weekend are volunteering at a park run. Uh, I've got a patient of mine in her 70s who I've got involved with park run, and she, she volunteers. Uh, she does a lot of guiding for visually impaired runners, um, and she'll often be a tail walker at the, uh, at the back to make sure that nobody has the indignity of finishing last. And she told me recently that uh, park run has transformed her life. Um, and she, She's somebody who's had a history of anxiety, depression, and it's just made an enormous difference to her, just getting involved in something regularly where she gets to meet people and chat um, at least once a week. I think the, um, gosh, yeah, the, the benefits for those people, and particularly for the marshals who are involved in that community, they might be even greater than those who are out there running, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, 
uh, yeah, I, I think it is absolutely huge. I um, we've got two, or we had two lovely little old guys who used to come down and um, sit at the side of the park around on the bench um, and wave at us and, and, and cheer at us as everybody ran round. And I got chatting to them and I said, well, tell, tell me your story. Tell me about how you, you ended up here. And they said they used to come to the park to walk their dogs together. And that, that's how they got to know each other through, through the dogs. And then the dogs died, but they decided they still liked each other and got on and they missed their chats. So they, they met in the park. And then once the park run started, all of a sudden that, was, that became more of a focus for the, for the two of them to just meet up on a Saturday morning. They'd walk around the park, they'd sit on the same bench, cheer the runners past, and then go home. And, and, and sadly, one of, them was, one of them died about six months ago. Mm. And I, I, I said to the other, to Tom, I said, listen, you know, we miss you. Uh, it, it's been sad not to, to see you down there on a Saturday. You've been asking us come down, you know, and, and it would be great to see you there. He has been popping down recently, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, gosh, yes, and there are some amazing stories. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about um, and to get make sure that you told us was that I know that you've been involved with a runner who was visually impaired and how you've um, got involved with help, helping her get um, stuck into Park Run as well. Okay, so, so this is a patient of mine, Kelly. Uh, once again, she, she's happy for me to, to share her story. And Kelly, is she's an astonishing woman. I'm, I'm really, really fond of her. I've known her for oh, 20-something years as a, as a patient. And about two years ago, I'd actually been on the England Athletics course to train up people to act as guide runners for, for visually impaired people. And a couple of weeks later, just by coincidence, Kelly came to see me. And we were chatting about, about exercise. And I said, oh, do you do any exercise? And she said, well, she went to an exercise class a couple of times a week. And that was at the gym. And she, and she, she sort of pulled the face. I said, what's the face about? And she said, well, I'm, I'm a bit hacked off with it. Because what happens is at the start of the session, they all go for a run outside to get warmed up. But they're worried about me falling over or bashing into stuff. So what, I, what they do is they stick me on the running machine so I can't come to any harm. Oh, sorry, stick her on the rowing machine so she can't come to any harm. And um, I said to her, well, well, you know, what do you like running outside? And she said she'd never run. She'd never run ever in the whole of her life. And that really struck me. And uh, Kelly is completely blind. And all the stuff we used to do as kids at, at school, in the playground, running around, doing sports, well, that was something that she'd never, she'd never ever done. So I said to her, you know, not one to, to look a gift horse in the mouth. I said, you know, do you fancy giving it a go at park run? Um, and I said, you know, I'm desperate to practice my guiding. You'd be a wonderful guinea pig. I've not, not tried it on anybody before, and I'd love to learn. Um, and um, amazingly, she was up to it. Up for it. She said she's really plucky and feisty. And so, so that Saturday, I drove around to her house, collected her. We went round to the park run. And um, off we went. We, we survived the 5K. She didn't fall over. She didn't bump into anything. What was really interesting was that she probably, we jogged slowly, and about three times she had to stop and she had to walk to get her breathing under control. And afterwards, she said to me, she said it, it wasn't um, uh, that she was really out of breath. It was just the panic and the anxiety um, from running outside. She'd never, ever done that before. Um, uh, and just the, the sensory implosion, the, the rapidity of noises and smells and stuff going on. She, she never had to cope with, with that happening quite so quite so quickly, which kind of freaked her out a bit. 
Um, but a minute or two of walking just to sort of calm herself down again. Uh, and then she was able to, to jog. But really interesting, at the end of that, she said uh, she was frustrated. She said she thought she could do it quicker. Uh, she said that she, you know, she, she knew um, that she'd taken it gently and she fancied coming back and giving it a go next week. So she did. And Kelly came back for 12 successive weeks every single Saturday and then ran with either me or another guide runner, Mike. And for 12 successive weeks, she smashed a PB. I've never seen a run, any runner, you know, sighted or visually impaired, get 13, so 12 or 13 successive PBs. And she did that week in, week out. She, she started off running about 45 minutes for 5K. She's now down to below 25 minutes. Even more amazingly, she's gone on, she's done 10Ks, half marathons. And then I was absolutely thrilled when she sent me a photo of her crossing the finish line at the London Marathon this year with the guide, Mike. Um, absolutely astonishing. And it's just been an amazing thing to, to watch her take off and to, and to fly. Yeah, so uh, it is a great story. Uh, one, it's a slight digression, but I really wanted to ask you about the running as a, as a guide for vi- people who are visually impaired. Um, yeah. how, how did you get involved with that? Um, it was just, I, I had a, a, my friend Mike did it. Um, there were courses going locally, which I think it cost 30 quid, um, for, for an evening's training. Uh, and I just thought it would be a, a, an interesting thing to, to try to do something, to do something a bit different. And as part of the course, what they do, they, they've got a number of different dark glasses that they put on you, which will mimic various vision impairments, obviously from complete blindness to just having a sight in one eye, to losing half of your vision in each eye, to having just a tiny pinhole vision in either eye, or you know, losing your peripheral vision. And, and it really, really shocked me just how hard it was to, to get around. I'd always thought, well, if you lost some of your vision, you'd, you'd be able to, to manage. Uh, but it really, really struck me and made me realize that I'd not been doing my patients with vision impairments justice i hadn't mm. understood quite how challenging life is i think what we have um this is a digression on a digression but we do for our medical students here at lancaster we run a visual impairment workshop and they go through all those kind of things where they you know the, those kind of the, the glasses which mimic various conditions and i'm very aware that it's just certainly my generation we just didn't do anything like that at medical school at all and if you haven't if you haven't at least had that minimal experience you just don't know it what you, you really you think you might you might you think you might have an understanding but really you you're miles away yeah it's it's, it's been fascinating get, getting to know kelly better and, and she's She's taught me tons about what it means to have a visual impairment. Stuff I just hadn't thought about because I'm a bit crass and insensitive, I think. Is, is if you're visually impaired and you care about what you wear, well, how do you know your clothes match in the morning? How do you get dressed? Turns out now that there are apps that you can scan over your clothes and that says, that's your navy trousers, that's your white, that's your white shirt. And stuff like, how do you read a menu in a restaurant? Mm. You know, they do them in Braille. Um, and turns out there's an app for that as well, uh, and you can just scan it over the menu, and, and it will it will go through what's available. So there's stuff like that that I've learned, which has been really really useful. So so I, I've got a tremendous amount from it just in my understanding of what it means to have a, have a visual impairment. Um, it's definitely on my list of things I want to do for the Blokeology podcast is actually visual impairment and particularly how you go about just everyday things so just to understand it a wee bit better, but also particularly how you go about exercising and 
Kelly was a really, and I was really touched by, I remember you telling this story about Kelly at the Royal College GPs conference. Uh, and that kind of just, I, I felt myself welling up the thought that she'd never run as a child. And that kind of all that joy you get as a school child, just running around and she had never experienced that. And then suddenly had the chance to do it with Park Run. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. When I talk to Kelly about her visual impairment, she says that uh, given the choice, she wouldn't wish to have been born fully sighted. That she's who she is, uh, you know, with her vision impairment, and she, and she wouldn't go back and she wouldn't change that. Yeah. I, I mean, she's obviously a tremendously um, single-minded and, and tough individual. One of the other things I wanted to just touch on um, – Simon, was that I guess the, the slight concern about, I know there's a there's a big sort of movement in lifestyle medicine and the slight anxiety, and I think I talked about this with uh, Brendan Stubbs, who's a research physiotherapist recently, that the slight risk with physical activity and exercise is that it gets to people who are already slightly in, in, inclined towards it, and it can even worsen health inequalities. But um, and you described one group of people that are actually, you know, at Havrig Prison. Um, and I, I, I particularly perked up on this because I've, I've worked at Havrig Prison and been a GP there in the past. So this is um, a story about a guy called Alfie Kirkley who shared his story online. And he was serving a stretch at Havrig Prison, having been arrested by Barrow Police. And uh, Havrig Prison was the first ever park run to, uh, was the first prison to set up a, a park run. We've now got, I think, seven. Uh, prison park runs up and running in the UK and and Ireland. And the fantastic thing about park runs in prison is they're exactly the same as park runs anywhere else. They're free, they're 5K, they're timed, they take place at 9am on Saturday, just like all the other park runs. And so Alfie, whilst he was in prison, was really enthusiastic about having uh, prison park run, took part, took part every week and was quick. What's really, really interesting is that when he got out of Havering Prison, I suspect, you know, it's quite hard to slot back into a community. You may have moved. Your social connections uh, may have unraveled. You may not quite have, may not have the same contact with your family and your friends. But wherever you are in the UK, there's a park run nearby. And so what Alfie did was he just went along to his local park run. He'd registered. He had his barcode. He knew he needed to pitch up at 9 a.m. on Saturday. And, and he knew the system. He slotted back in. He didn't feel like an outcast. He didn't feel different. He was just another park runner. And that was amazing to see him just slot back into a community. And, and doing the park run at Havery Prison really made a difference. Even more interesting was, was that the that Barrow Police, a couple of days later, tweeted about Alfie's success, um, about how, how well he'd done and and you know, that their best ever park runner at Havre Prison was now doing park runs outside the prison. Yeah. And for Alfie, he, he said it was a complete life changer, um, that he's focused his life now on running. It, it, it sounds to me like there's something good, there's something positive and meaningful in his life, something to work for. And, and I think all of us need, need something that enthuses us. We, we need a reason to get up something that that grabs us and, and gives us a reason to to go on and that's what park runs done for for alfie and I, I, there's tremendous potential for you know prisons in park runs and you know and mental health units mental health hospitals we're looking at um setting up a park run in a mental health unit which is really exciting 
Well, I've just spoke recently on the podcast to Brendan Stubbs, who I mentioned earlier, who's done a lot of this work. And the, the, the benefits of physical activity and mental health are just, they are, there's, uh, you know, in, the evidence is, you know, um, deepening. And it seems very clear that there's an enormous um, range of benefits um, that will, those people from the various, from, you know, the lower levels of depression, anxiety that many people suffer to the most serious kind of schizophrenia, bipolar really, you know, really um, debilitating mental illness, they all seem to be getting benefit from. And it sounds like part one could have a real role there. It, it, it's, it's hard to think of many conditions where part run and, and exercise and getting groups together doesn't make a difference. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, you know, there's evidence that in terms of prevention, the things like, you know, dementia, cardiovascular disease, things like colon cancer, breast cancer, if you exercise regularly, your risk of those is, is reduced. And if you have a long-term condition, for almost all of them, exercise is a fantastic way to help you take control of your condition. So Sean's a, a patient of mine who's happy for me to, to share his story. Uh, so he had a, a very, very big heart attack about two years ago, so much so that his heart went into to heart failure. And the DVLA set criteria for your driving that your heart has to be functioning above a certain level. Uh, and his heart was below that. And as a consequence, he lost his license. And you can imagine for somebody in their 50s, losing their driving license is, is catastrophic. Um, he, he left work and retired early. And he went through the normal cardiac rehab. Um, and now with Parkruns, we're beginning to link up with a lot of cardiac rehab units um, at hospitals across the country. Uh, once people are getting back to move, moving a bit more, it's about building up confidence. And so I said to Sean one day, why don't you come down to Southport Park Run um, and just come around and walk, take it really, really gently. And um, and he did that and he's now one of our regulars um, and he's gone from strength to strength. His heart um, function has improved dramatically, so much so that we've got his license back, he's, he's driving again. And he just feels so much fitter and so much better as a result. Yeah, I, I, um, it's fantastic, isn't it? I, well, I, thank you for sharing all those stories, Simon. They're, they're really, um, I kind of, they're really inspirational. And I, as I said, I haven't, I can't have a bad word for Park Run as much as I would, in many ways, my inner evil self would like to. I haven't got one. My curmudgeonly self would, but I can't come up with anything. What I did want to ask you was, well, where do you think the future is for Park Run? And there's a, I guess it's a two-part question slightly, but this the second bit might be more unfair. That do you think there are any groups that Park Run is not reaching? And but where do you think the future is? I mean, obviously it's going through an enormous explosion in growth at the moment. Anyway, Park Run. Okay, okay. so two, two questions. So, so the first question: where we are currently, uh, we've had in the last couple of weeks a four millionth person sign up worldwide you know, to register at Park Run. Parkrun has spread from that first 13 people in Bushy Park in, in 2004 to 20 countries. So we've set up in uh, South Africa, in Norway, in Australia, and each of those are like little seeds, which is germinating, and there's little little offshoots and, and other parkruns spreading. Um, so the expansion is just enormous. There are nearly 600 events in the UK alone, 5K events, 230, I think, of the junior park runs on a Sunday and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, uh, and we're nowhere near saturation yet in the UK, let alone the rest of the world. What I think is fantastic about the park run model is, is, is a kind of a, a grassroots thing. It's a hand, it's not a top down approach. 
there's some expertise there in, in how you set it up. But the structure is simple. You, you get a group of, of people together. You go usually to your local council or landowner and say, could we use this green space to have a run every Saturday? It must be free. And Parkrun will help you support and set it up. And other, some, other than some basic health and safety stuff, you, you're up and running. Um, and Parkruns are individually very, very different. They all have a different vibe. And I've been to ones across the country, and there are some, you know, I went to one at St. Helens recently, that they've got coffee and cake at the end of it, and a huge social thing going on there. Uh, there's usually a thing where you meet, you know, there should be a cafe or somewhere to, to get together afterwards. And so that the model works, and I think the key for Parkrun is not to fiddle with it, and they're not. Um, they've whether it's by design, whether it's by accident, they've stumbled across an amazing model that works. So the growth of Parkrun is organic and it's grassroots. It's not a company, it's not for profit organization, nobody's making money. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's basically they just need to add our standing back and just let people get on with it. Um, because when people go to a Parkrun, you realize, as you say, that there's an astonishing transformative power about what happens there. And if you just like the touch paper, it, off, it, off it goes. Um, so it, it's really, I remember Tony Blair once, uh, when he, just before he won the election, talked about, he was so odds on favorite that all he had to do was walk, it felt like walking across a room with a tray of glasses without dropping them. Uh, but it was a terrifying thing. And, and I think in some ways with Parkrun, it's the same thing. They've got this precious thing that that is, amazingly changing people's lives um, and what they just have to be careful to do is not not smash it not change it just carry on doing what they are doing yeah i think you're right i i, I think they are going through the, the growth i mean they're obviously just in a growth phase nowhere near saturation it's just going to i can just see it it's just going to go and go like exponentially kind of growth i would anticipate in the next few years it, there's a, it's very there's an interesting lesson there isn't there for us as gps and particularly gps who are interested in promoting lifestyle aspects of medicine physical activity diet other things that um trying to impose top-down models or programs perhaps in the long run isn't going to be anywhere near you know an exercise program that's prescribed perhaps isn't in the end going to be anywhere near as successful as something which grows up from the bottom and from is created by the community and the society we live in itself yeah, you you absolutely nailed it. It's it, it. Nothing frustrates me more than seeing stuff in the papers that doctors tell patients they must not drink when they're pregnant. Doctors must tell doctors to tell patients to exercise more. I hate and won't tell people anything. I think your job and my job is is about asking people first of all what do they want from their lives, from their health, and what are their goals, what matters to them, and once you've established where they want to get to people often say well i want to be around for my grandkids i want to be i want to be able to move a bit more comfortably um i'd like to shed a bit of weight um i'd like to reduce my risk of, of having a heart attack uh once you've done that with them it becomes very easy to say well let's think about some ways you could do that and this is what's on offer and parkrun might might be one of the the options as might be walking as might be swimming as might be looking at your diet your lifestyle your stress um but it's about empowering people uh and this top-down approach telling people and prescribing stuff is just too heavy-handed and people hate it 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. You, you push them away, and it's expensive, and it's ineffective, and it just creates a whole. It creates barriers in itself. It's just a. I mean, it's disastrous, isn't it? I think we, there's clearly a lot of work we need to do as a medical profession. Certainly, someone who works in a medical school in emphasising the importance so that doctors understand these things and they can advise people when they ask about them. But I, I'm, I'm with you. The suggestion that we just impose them on people are ludicrous. And my the parallel that, you know, taking it to the extreme, I, I have the same approach even working with people who are injecting drug users. You, you can't just assume that people want to stop injecting drugs. That if, if they want to do it, well, I, I'll tell you how to do it safely. But if you don't want to do it, I'll help you to stop or reduce. And actually, the first thing to do is not, never, not to go into a consultation and um, a clinic with a preconceived idea about the way you want your patients to live, that all seems like a disaster. Yeah, absolutely right. You asked me, it was a two-part question. You asked me about um, coverage and are there any groups that, that we're not reaching? Yeah, I did. It's, very bad. it's a very bad habit. Of, I mean, from a communication skills perspective, it's an extremely bad thing to have done to ask you a two-part question, so I apologise. for this. This was spooky because I, I remember a communication skills thing that I did. And I was shocked. I asked triple questions. Each question, see, I thought, well, that's better, that's better. And you just end up confusing people. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but onto your, onto your second question. I, I do think that there's a problem with, um, uh, with reaching out to, to, to some of the harder to get to parts of, of our communities. I think black and ethnic minorities are underrepresented. I think part runs doing amazingly with with getting women moving, and because it's not seen so much as a as a race, it's a, you know just a timed run. I, I think that you know the numbers of women doing part run are, are fantastic. We could reach more people with mental health issues, as, as you said, um, more people with disabilities, more people with long term conditions. Those are the people that it seems to be whatever you're doing are hard to reach, um, and. I know Park Run's working really, really hard to, to try and try and reach out to those communities. Uh, there's uh, somebody at Park Run who, whose remit is to try and to get to those people who are, who are hard to reach. But it's, it's tough and it's hard, it's hard work. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to change it. With, there's too many images of white middle class runners around. And I'd, I'd love to, to change it. So I'm always very careful if I'm writing stuff or posting photos to try and highlight diversity, um, and, and I think it's I think it's changing, but it's it's slow. It's frustratingly slow. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's extraordinarily difficult, and um, of course, and 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 the problem with something like Park Run or you know any intervention is the danger that you worsen health inequalities by not you've and you've just got to keep working at making sure that you whatever you do is targeted at those other groups. Um, and yes. I mean, you know, here we are, two you know white middle aged middle class blokes talking about trying to get more diversity yes. and that's a fundamental problem is it but I, I think you're bang on that actually that's got to be the kind of and you know for gosh not just park run any healthcare policy that is about across the board in almost any subject you like that is where the in my view is where we should be concentrating our efforts is to tackle the groups which are hard to reach and, and maybe it's about role models it's about finding more role models from different communities um one of the things I love, I mean, each, each week with, there's a kind of park run blog that comes out with some inspirational stories. Um, and I know there are real efforts to try and communicate that just because you're, because you're overweight, because you're from an ethnic minority, you know, everybody can, can benefit. There's an amazing woman, don't you, whether you remember Dawn Nesbitt? 
uh, she came to public attention about 18 months ago, a, a big woman, and there was a photo of her um, uh, wearing her lycra, sweaty, puffy, sort of puffy, red-faced, and the image went viral. And she's an amazing ambassador for people who, who uh, are, are not happy with their weight. And she gets out there and she does her stuff, and it's not easy. Uh, and she's honest about that. But but she's really, really inspirational. And using role models um, like that, I'm sure, is the way forward. Yeah, that's only a very strong um uh, it's a very strong method, I think, isn't it, to try and tackle some of these difficulties. Simon, some wonderful stories there and an amazing success story with Parkrun. Um, where can people find out a little bit more about Parkrun? Where can they find out a little bit more about what's going on? Okay, so the easiest thing to do, just Google, or whichever search engine you use, just Google Parkrun. If you, if you put where's my nearest Parkrun, uh, you'll get onto the map of the UK. And, and with 600 Parkruns around the country, you will find one within a short distance. And, and all I'd say to people, is give it a try once. It's free. You don't have to commit. Just It, it takes 60 seconds to, to register. Print off your barcodes, and that's important to, to take with you. Uh, that means we can send you your time. We can text you um, where you were in relation to everybody else and, um, and give it a go. And if it's not your thing, fine. But I'm astonished at how many people, when they do give it a go once, become addicted um, and absolutely love what Parkrun has to offer. Yeah. Absolutely. Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can find the full show notes at www.blocology.io. You can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blocology at www.blocology.io forward slash journal. Sign up and I'll make sure that I send you the Healthy Bloke Action Plan. It would be enormously helpful if you've enjoyed the show, if you've got anything out of it, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just leave a rating, that would be incredibly helpful. And any feedback is very welcome. And so you can leave comments, send email, or make contact via Twitter, Facebook, and the usual social media channels, all of which can be found at blokeology.io. Thanks again. Thanks again.